Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, before we continue on with our Steve Odekirk series... There is something we need to discuss. And Zach, it is not music this time. It's actually, it's not music. It is actually, we're about to discuss Rob's inner psyche. Are you excited? I know you love when we get to to talk about these. So Zach, my question for you at the start of this, (laughs) have you ever heard of something called Palalalia? No, Rob, I haven't, but I think you already expected that answer. (laughs) So... Uh, for Zach, for our audience, if you ever hear a word that ends in lalia, it is a speech disorder. So glossolalia, palalalia, echolalia, those are all kind of very similar. Glossolalia is when you speak in tongues. So when like really religious fanatics, they do that weird speaking in tongues. That's a form of glossolalia. But I'm here to talk about palalalia and echolalia. And echolalia, I think makes sense, has echo in it. It's when you have the incessant need to repeat things that people say to you. Palalalia is a little different. It's when you hear something, you have the need to constantly say it over and over again. So this is where Rob's inner psyche comes in. It's never been formally diagnosed. If if you ask anybody that I lived with in any of my college years, I would bet a hundred a million dollars <laughs> that they would say I have palalalia. If uh, if Ethan is listening to this, do you want to buy any mugs? That's a great example story from my past of where I basically said, "Do you want to buy mugs for like six hours straight?" Uh, there's something Zach knows this. I love repetition. Now this is where it ties into what we're discussing: the Steve Odekirk series this week. When I rewatched Kung Pao Enter the Fist for this recording, the movie we're discussing today, I remembered something that I, I, I don't know if I chose to forget it or I repressed it, but I remembered that this is actually one of my dad's favorite movies. My father loves this movie, Kung Pao Enter the Fist. And I have a very vivid memory still to this day. It's probably not a memory. It probably happened the last time I talked to him. If you remind my father of this movie, he will say something to you over and over and over. He will repeat it incessantly. That phrase is, chosen one! Zach might have actually heard my dad say that many years ago. When my dad gets that in his brain, he will keep repeating it over and over and over. And when I kind of remembered this, I realized that not only was that the the singular example, my father's been doing this his whole life. So I think that both my father and I have palalalia, the need to repeat themselves. And hell, what do we got? 50, 50 episodes now, right? Of Cinemodities? I think Zach is the, the person to say best, I like to repeat myself. What do you think about that concept, Zach? Knowing my dad, knowing me, Palalalia, in your uh, unprofessional opinion, do I have it? <laughs> uh, f- uh, I, Rob, I don't know if you have Agonimnon, but I'm going to. 
That's a joke. Where we say that Rob likes introducing new words into the cinematic vocabulary that he knows I won't be able to repeat easily. So he keeps see repetition. He keeps repeating these words. He has a heart. He knows I won't be able to say, but he keeps doing it. Rob, I am by no means a medical doctor. Yes, I'm not even unprofessional opinion. I'll take. It. I'm not even a third rate psychiatrist. It's very considering all the things I have diagnosed with. I've diagnosed Rob with over the years. That's certainly within the pantheon of possibilities. Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, that's that's my uh, lukewarm stamp of approval. Right on, right on. I like it. I like it. That I, I just kind of it blew my mind that it was like, you know, I, I think that most people, maybe maybe men, uh, if I can reveal that I identify as a man on this podcast, I think it's it's kind of established that you know you get older in life and. You kind of realize how much of your father you're becoming, <laughs> and and this is one of the things where I'm like, I'll just be I'll be alone in my apartment and I'll be repeating something over and over and over just to hear how it sounds me saying it, and I'll be like, shit, I'm my dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, palalalia, and that's like I said, it comes into play because hell, if we had my dad on this episode, he would only say one thing and one thing only to us: chosen one. Chosen One! Okay, Zach, that, was that a good intro? We are talking about The Chosen One. <laughs> 15, 15 minutes later, we are talking about Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Yes, so this is Steve Oderkirk's movie, I would say. Uh, I don't actually know. Did he direct this? Do you know? Yeah he, direct, yeah, he directed this. So he directed it, he started it, and he provides all of the it. dubbed voices. It's great. Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, I've been aware of this, I think, for years, like we talked about last few weeks. I've known about the Thumb movie since I was little, and that Steve Odekirk and kind of knowing about him uh, led me to this movie. But of course, as we often do, Zach, can you please enlighten us with your history of Kung Pao, Enter the Fist? My history is rather limited compared to Rob's. I, I, I have very vague memory that this, I, had, I don't want to say I got confused when I was younger. Okay, but I remember a commercial that aired on TV of a man like fighting a cow, and <laughs> I, I for some reason I always remembered that. But I what I associated with in my memory was the film Rat Race because I always remember that shot in Rat Race where like the cow gets caught on like what the hot air balloon. Oh yeah, that's right, and the cow is like hitting cars on the highway or some shit like that. Because I've seen Rat Race a couple times since when that came out. Because oh, yeah, that's like, a good Rat movie. <laughs> oh yeah, Rat Race. We'll get to that sooner or later. And they both came out within I think like six months of each other. So I okay. guess it was just that same time period where it was like, oh okay, maybe whatever reason. And it wasn't until I think when Rob suggested this, and Rob's like, Zach, you're gonna love this film. The guy fights a cow like the Matrix. <laughs> and for some reason, I'm like, why does that sound so familiar? Like, as a concept, why does that sound so familiar? And I looked up the uh, trailer, and that's like one of the shots in the trailer is him like fighting yep. a cow. I'm like, oh, I, I guess it wasn't Rat Race. <laughs> and that's pretty much my entire history of it outside of preparing for this episode. Okay, so have you ever seen it before, this uh, watch for this, this recording? No, I've never oh, seen okay. it before. Uh, a couple times I got it confused. I think there's oh god I think it's a Christopher Walken movie called like Balls of Fury. Oh, like Chris with the about the ping pong tournament. Yeah, that's a good got, movie. I get confused with that every once in a while. Someone be like, oh, I got to see. Like, I'm not somebody. Nobody ever. Rob's the only person in my history that's ever talked about this film out loud. <laughs> but like, I, I hear people like talk about like, oh, Kung Pao, and I'm like, oh, is that 
is that the Christopher Walken like ping pong movie? And it's like, no, that's Balls of Fury, which I always get confused with Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell. Mm, yep, uh, and John Heater. Yes, and John Heater. And isn't we're gonna dance to one song? We're gonna skate to one song and one song only. My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> I always get that movie confused with Semi Pro because that like was another six that degrees. Was a, are we getting? When are we hitting Kevin Bacon? Is that what this is coming down to? We have six degrees of Kevin. We Bacon probably could. Okay, let's see. How, how do we connect Kevin Bacon to Will Ferrell? Oh, it's got to be doable. It's got to right? be. <laughs> Not that I've seen every Will Ferrell movie or Kevin Bacon movie, but I'm sure they shared some screen time at one point. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. It's like I always get these movies confused because, like, oh, sure. one's like a, a uh, skating sports movie. The other one is like a basketball movie. Yep. Where he, like, fights a bear, doesn't he? Doesn't he, like, fight a bear in that movie? Um, scared cards. Mm. It's a baby bear. Mm. It's trained and everything. Who's a good bear? Who used to live in the woods? I don't care. I'm terrified of those things. I'm freaking out. Come on, get it together. Oh, oh I'm starting to feel really dizzy. Mm. Call it off? No. No. Okay. I gotta give these people a show. Are you guys ready? Uh-huh. You have to give me your safe word. No, I don't need a safe word. Okay, I'll tell you what. If you feel like you're in danger... Just say, um, Spumoni. No, I, I don't need Spumoni, okay? Let's get this show on the road. <laughs> I know, I think a lot of people that I've talked to hate Semi-Pro, but that's one of my favorite Will Ferrell movies. The scene where it's Will Ferrell and a bunch of black people playing poker, and Will Ferrell's like, oh, you jive, turkey, and they're all go, whoa, 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 that's our word, you can't say JT. <laughs> that's a, I really like that movie, so so yeah, semi-pro. But I'm with you, Zach, they all kind of do blend together to some extent when you don't really kind of know more about them. Like the Will Ferrell movies are Will Ferrell movies, and, and I could totally see that you would kind of, you know, mix these up without having watched Kung Pao, because visually, it's a very different style, but you might you know, lump them in because it's that similar type of humor. Yeah, Semi-Pro and Kung Pao are pretty much the exact same movie. I think that's what <laughs> Rob's getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, man. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. I think I mentioned it. What we should, we should set the stage for, like I said, the visuals of Kung Pao because it is very different from these other movies we're mentioning. Um, maybe there's a word for it. Zach, you would know better. It's a it's a composite movie. Is that a good way to put it? Like most of the scenes are previous old footage with Steve Odekirk, I don't know, keyed in, green screened in. Can, maybe you can elaborate on that better. Yes, but before we get into that, I want to oh, bring okay. up that Will Ferrell is connected to Kevin Bacon. Oh, nice. <laughs> Will Ferrell's uh, Will Ferrell starred in the campaign alongside J John Lithgow, who also played the bad guy in Footloose. Gotcha. Perfect. So we do we do have our connections. So there Great. you go. Semi pro John Lithgow, <laughs> Kevin Bacon. But uh, get, getting to the topic at hand, uh, no, I um I don't want to jump too far ahead. But I, uh, the humor in this movie wasn't exactly my cup of tea. Okay. Uh, I, as I was watching, I know a couple times Rob's like Zach, this movie completely formed who I am. This is a person. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like eh. watching Footloose. Footloose. Watching <laughs> Kung Pao, I'm like, this is a Rob movie. This is a capital R O B Rob movie. Nice. And as I was watching, it's like I get like much like it's funny. I never would have thought 
that the Thumb movies would have such a through line that would carry into this. But you can definitely see the humor there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But addressing Rob's point, the thing I thought which was the most noteworthy part about this film, and maybe, like, I think we should be talking about this movie in a technical sense well beyond, like, there's movies that came out, like, in the early 2000s that we talk about, like, Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. or I'm trying to think of another one from 2001 that was, like, revolutionary. Pearl Harbor being really the biggest one at that time. Freddy but, like, <laughs> well, that's not technologically revolutionary. That's oh, okay, revolutionary okay. for many other reasons. Yes, yes. It, that's Technologically, that might be the only place it's lacking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, like, as I was watching this, I'm like, there's a couple of spots, like Rob said, where there you can tell that it's being green screened. And for people who've never seen this, the whole thing is Steve Odekirk found a kung fu movie from like the 70s yep. and like CGI matted himself into like almost every frame of the film. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, and yes, Rob provided me a copy, which wasn't the best. This movie's only ever been released on DVD. It's never gotten HD release. But watching it in the somewhat okay form that I have, Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how great the scenes looked. Yeah, that's kind of, I think you're absolutely right. Because yes, we could talk about this movie and how funny I think it is till, you know, the cows come home, pun intended. (laughs) But but you are so right. Like, I think that is one of the things that I it, it's taken me years to fully appreciate how good the blending of Steve Odekirk and these scenes, some of them look. It, it's really kind of mind blowing that, you know, he was able to pull it off and it fits and it works. And you're right. No one's talking about this in that way. Yeah, it's really. I, I've never seen something done like this before. Like, don't get me wrong. There's been things like, like, like what's the new Star Wars movie when we have Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. digitally grafted into every frame of the movie. Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's different though. That's not reusing old footage or or using uh, yes, fo- yes. Or, or reusing footage for another purpose. Yeah. Even though that's not what Steve Odekirk did here. But the idea of having a film that was like made in the '70s with very limited film stock or okay film stock nothing mm-hmm. high end and then for steve odekirk to go through it because i found an interview that he did in like 2015 at nice. dragon con where he actually oh god the guy who interviews him i think is drunk and the guy's <laughs> like, like but it's a really good interview and steve mm-hmm. odekirk's like oh we only had like a budget of 10 million dollars and like 95 percent of that budget went to us buying the print restoring the print for the original film in order for him to be cgi'd into it they had to restore the print so it would look good that's a good then point he goes, I had, about that and then he said the stuff they filmed with me wasn't that expensive but when they had the stuff i filmed they had to deliberately degrade it to make it look like what the film stock upgraded or the the original film looked yeah. like after we remastered it and I'm like that is like Amazing! Like, forget about what the, like this. Like, I know Rob's not gonna like this, but there's a lot of dumb humor in this. It's Steve. I think you know now that we've seen the thumb movies, and you know, um, I, I think Zach and I have both seen Jimmy Neutron. It might have been a long time ago, but Steve Odekirk, you know, it's his humor. He has a certain style of humor, and this this movie is very much in that wheelhouse, of course. Oh yeah, but like it's sophomore humor. Yeah, it's, yeah, that it's is goofy. His style. Yeah, you know, fish. I'm sorry, Woos. I thought you were a marlin. You know, it's it's very. 
it's his style. And yes, it isn't the 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 highest brow or the most intelligent humor, but I still love it. <laughs> oh yeah, but I think like we should be talking about this movie, not for again its humor, but just what they were able to accomplish in two thousand one, yeah. which was a very very sketchy time for special effects. Especially special effects of this kind of level. Like when you, like, you think of special effects, people think, "Oh, Avengers, Star Wars, uh, the Batman v Superman, Dawn of 9-11 memes." <laughs> it's that sort of like just like bomb bass and just things like that. Yeah, like, this is the type of special effects that people don't realize how important they are. It's like what happened. I think it was like Forrest Gump when Gary Sinise had to play what a uh, uh, not paraplegic, a, an amputee victim. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's that level of special effects where like it's the kind that you don't notice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's actually a good point about this movie. Um there might be people who have seen this movie and don't know that it's kind of composited in that way. They try and point it out at the credits. There's a lot of like, you know, they show the original footage, they show the green screen, they show the scene at like right before the credits. But I'm I'm sure there's some people out there who are just like, you know, this movie's dumb, I don't understand it, and they they aren't even any like no modicum of awareness that so much effort technically was put into this film. Yeah, because even as like, and yeah, certain scenes where he's fighting the bad guy, and you can tell obviously they, they cast a new actor and put him in makeup and, and hair yeah. that looks like the original actor from the the first film. Mm-hmm. But in certain other scenes, though, where like I, I was deliberately watching. Sure. Where, uh, I, I don't know our care. I don't know any of the characters' names. I only know there's the chosen one, which is Steve Odekirk. And then I think it's Ling is the girl who goes wee 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 wee. <laughs> every time at the end of every line when she talks, she's like, "You shall be able to beat him now." Wee 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 wee. <laughs> Stay alive. Stay and live a life here with me. But I know, I, I think it's, I don't want to say the sensei, but at one point, someone fights our bad guy on behalf of the chosen one, mm-hmm. and Steve Oderkirk is, like, carrying him back to the dojo, yep. and I was watching that, and I'm like, where are the seams? Sure. Like, I could not find any seams, and then they show it, like Rob said, during the credits, they play it like a uh, a gag reel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is mind blowing. Like they show you all different compositing layers, like where they had him, the tracking. Like, this, like we see things now. Like we have Andy Circus, all the dots on his head, yep. whether he's playing Gollum or, <laughs> or the uh, monkey, the yeah, monkey. The monkey. <laughs> and okay. like I'm, yeah. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is incredible. Like, like I, I know, obviously, no one would ever nominate Kung Pao Enter the Fist for like an Academy Award. <laughs> but looking at what was nominated that year, you had things like Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Oh God, Ar- Artificial <laughs> Intelligence. Where I'd say some of the, if you go back and look at Artificial Intelligence, a lot of those special effects don't hold up. Okay, okay, I haven't seen and that in a long time. And you have well, Pearl Harbor. I think Pearl Harbor is the third yep. one. Yep. And those hold up for the most part, but like this is, I guess there are some scenes where like one of the like who's it the uh, the 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 peanut the peanut shop guy oh, like that's a lot of nuts. <laughs> I'll take a pound of nuts. That's a lot of nuts. <laughs> and he has like he pulls out like a cell phone, and clearly it's a guy's arm just yeah. being held in front of a green screen. It's like okay, like it's not perfect, but overall. That is like, like not to keep repeating myself, but that's the highlight from this for me is that this is more of a a stepping stone in the advancement of CGI technology 
than pretty much I can't think of anything else at that time. Okay. No, that's awesome. And I that's something like I said before, it took me years to kind of appreciate and and I, I knew that you were gonna latch on to that as well. And I'm glad that you you know we agree that this is like Steve Odekirk, whether it be thumb movies or this, there's a great sense of creativity and artistry behind that man. And that's that's why, yes, his his humor is great to me also, but it's <laughs> dumb. But man, like the, the ability, his, his vision and the, the ability to create it, you know, it, it bums me out that we don't get to see more from him these days. Like he's a great creator. Yeah, he really is. Like, like even though some things like the um – the thumbs are a little soft. Again, like his whole, okay, his humor is sophomore. I, yes, I, I, absolutely. I, I have to accept that. I can't keep knocking him for that. That's his style. He has a mm-hmm. very, you know, kind of um. It's it's not high intelligence. It's it's easy, not easy. It's Low simplistic. Brow. Yeah, yeah. But I really think this man kind of uh, he missed his calling. Is like in a like a uh, oh my lord, a visual effects supervisor. Mm-hmm. I really think in another universe. He would have won Oscar for like best visual effects for I don't know. Insert movie here. Sure. Yeah, no. I, I feel right. I feel that that was his missed calling because he really did he has imagination. It's just he chose to channel it into a very sophomoric way. Which again, up to not knocking him for that. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to I'd love to see the universe where this man is like VP of like a, a special effects house. Yeah, you're so right. Because I mean that, that's what he's good at. He's great at it. It's awesome. It really is because as I was watching, it's like some of the. It's funny. There's a lot of you don't mess with the Zohan humor in this. Okay. Okay. I haven't seen that in a while either. So, but because there's one scene in the Zohan, I think most people who are even faintly aware of that movie will know what I'm talking about. Where Adam Sandler's like in New York City for the first time, and he like bumps into a guy, and he's like, "Oh, excuse me, friend." And the guy's like, "I'm not your friend, Mustafa." Mustafa, and he starts like beating the guy up with like his feet. It's like, wait, was that your feet? And like we have him like pretty much like hovering there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like this- one foot comes up, it goes down. The other foot comes up, it goes down. Both feet come up, and it's yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then there's there's a scene. There's actually a scene in Kung Pao that's almost copied verbatim in the film in, in Zohan where. The chosen one's like doing push-ups on the floor, oh, and he starts yeah. from like doing like regular like push-ups with like his arms. Then he starts like doing it with like one arm. Then he starts doing it by like breathing up and down, like his yeah. breath is keeping it. And the Zohan, the exact same thing happens. Oh man, okay. It's slightly different, mm-hmm. but considering one of these was made seven years before the other, it can't <laughs> help but point out that clearly somebody in Sandler's crew had seen this. Sure, sure, that's a good point. Yeah, I never would have made that connection. I'd love to hear Rob do a plot breakdown of this. <laughs> Absolutely love Rob. Like, no, no, but this point, then the baby tumbles down the hillside. Oh my God. That, that baby doll rolling down the hill is so funny to watch. <laughs> that is one of the points where I really did laugh at the movie. I really, okay. I enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Cause the baby rolls down a hill for like two minutes and then it stops on like the little road and a, a woman picks it up and goes, Oh, so cute. And then, Pushes it down the rest of the hill. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> she lets it continue great. on rolling down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So should I should I try and do a plot breakdown of this? <laughs> I'd like to hear you try. Okay. So, yeah. The try is the key word. This, this is a, a tough one. Um, the chosen one is born. And apparently when the chosen one is born, the evil council knows about it. So they send Master Pain to kill 
the chosen one when he's a baby. And that's our first scene when Master Payne comes in and he kills the parents and he tries to stab the baby, but the baby blocks his arm. <laughs> and there's a scene where a baby kung fu fights all this stuff. I like to imagine this is how um, the Voldemort, like when Voldemort tried to kill Harry Potter when Harry Potter was a baby, I would like to imagine that Harry Potter kung fu the shit out of the Death Eaters. <laughs> I don't think they ever do that scene in the movies, so we can leave that up to our imagination. Um, but the the Master Pain, uh, I think he thinks he kills the baby. He burns the house down, but the baby escapes and rolls down the hill. And then basically the rest of the movie is the chosen one trying to get revenge as a grown man, of course, on the people that on Master Payne, the guy who kills his, who killed his family. Um, but we get the whole reveal of, you know, the chosen one, what he is, what his powers are, what the evil counsel is. Um, the Master Payne turns into Betty. Gentlemen, from this day forward, you will all refer to me by the name Betty. <laughs> he wants to be called Betty, and then he wants to be called Mike Piazza at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Now, now Betty, Mike Piazza! Um, and it turns out uh, that the Chosen One has to f have a showdown with Betty for his revenge and to stop the evil council which are French aliens. <laughs> Does that sum it up fairly well? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, I mean, there's a lot of sure. in there, but, but I feel like that's the, the barest we can get, it, that it's a revenge story for the most part. <laughs> yeah, like and that's what it is. He kind of, in this interview, which I'm not sure if Rob has seen, I'll send it to him after this. Yeah, I don't think I have seen it. It's from 2015. Steve Oderkirk was at Dragon Con. Mm -hmm. that, wherever that's held. Yeah, I never and, heard of that. And he says basically, like, because like the, the drunk guy who interviews him is like, "Oh, why did you want to do this?" And he's like, "Oh, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be in a martial arts film." And so he figured, what's better than starring in your own film, putting yourself in an actual martial arts film that existed yeah. before, but like before you even ever thought of doing this. And that's like as an idea. Like I don't know if there's any sort. I don't think it's. I can't think of another movie where an actor has taken a pre-existing movie that they're not involved with. And put themselves into it after the fact. That's a good question. I don't, yeah, I, I, nothing comes to mind like this. This is the only thing I think I might have actually seen that does it. I'm sure it exists elsewhere, but I, nothing comes to mind. That's like beyond the technical aspects that we talked about, looking at this under like a creative lens, mm -hmm. just that concept, like that's really a revolutionary concept. Like that's, I, I, it probably exists at some point. Like, like mm -hmm. in, in the age of YouTube, somebody's probably done this. But prior to like social media and just having like everybody having cons or, uh, professional grade video editing software at their disposal, to do that, and not that like this is not like oh god, what was his name? Ted Turner threatening mm -hmm. to colorize Citizen <laughs> Kane in Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah. The idea of like buying a film print of a film or like, buying the rights because I think he says he had to buy the film rights. Okay. And then doing that, that is a truly unique element. Like there, yeah. there's so much to this film that really should be highlighted and noteworthy that is kind of just like, I don't know, Rob, would you say this film is more or less forgotten? Is there any sort of Kung Pao fan base that I'm not aware of? I'm glad you bring this up because um, I, I would say, yes, this movie has been forgotten. But I have an interesting point that I wanted to talk about. Um, like I said, and I think it's just established, I saw this movie when I was younger, I've, I've, I've known about it for years, 
the thing with Palalalia and my father and the chosen one, it's never going away. Um, but people, people really did kind of forget about this. Even my undergrad, which was, you know, 2010, 2011. And it, I was like, oh, like, let's watch Kung Pao. Like, ha- like the thumb movies, Kung Pao. These are the movies that I love and I want to share with people. And barely, and everybody was like, I think I heard of it, but I'm not too familiar with it. Uh, so, yes, while it has been forgotten, I must say that it might have been a year or two years ago where um, I was flipping through some meme website. And I actually saw the fight scene with the cow, like in a little, in in like a little meme, like a little, you know, animated thing. And so aside, Zach says GIF, I say GIF, I'm a mentality of, you know what the fuck we're talking about, who cares how you pronounce it? It's like the soda versus pop argument. It's like when I ask somebody, hey, can you hand me a soda? Do you mean pop? Bitch, you understood what I'm talking about. Why are you wasting my time? So GIF, that's what I saw. And it was basically posted, someone was like, this is the best fight scene ever. And they actually like put the little scene of, of the, you know, the Matrix style cow fight. And I was like, holy shit, someone else knows about this movie. I wish that meme had taken off more than it did because <laughs> I haven't seen it in like a year or two years. But there are people out there, I should say. There are there's somebody who's not me who's willing to meme this movie, and it's very memeable. And that's the only way I think people are gonna remember it, and the only chance we're gonna get for a Kung Pao. Two, Tongue of Fury. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I'm pretty sure we can all can agree soda's called cola. I need a cola. So <laughs> you're wrong again. It's uh, soda to me, okay? <laughs> so, somewhere Pork Knight is like punching his fist through his like uh, flat screen monitor, being like, it's called GIF. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, that aside though, I, why I prepared for this, I went on, like how I found the Steve Odekirk interview, I went on YouTube and typed in like Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. And I'm like, oh, let's see if anything comes up. Much like, I think I've, I've mentioned it before. I'll see if there's any sort of like YouTube retrospectives on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's none of those. There's no retrospectives on this. Much mm. like there's nothing yeah. on real scary stories. Yep. Or elves. Nothing. Oh, no, there's a couple on elves, but uh, nothing like that. But one thing I did notice is that there's like hundreds of clips from the movie on there, and quite a few of them have like hundreds of thousands of views. Oh wow. Okay. Which is good. That means that people are still looking at it. like yeah, some yeah, of those yeah. some of those videos are from like two thousand eight. So like they've had like a decade to amass like one hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. views. But the first thing that's always important is that the whole movie isn't available on YouTube. That's okay. always the first thing. That means whoever owns it still cares about it. Yes. Yes. And two, when there are that many clips, that means that people are like thinking about it and they want to mm-hmm. share it with people. Sure. And because I've always been aware, like right back to the Rob's kind of first question was, I've always been aware of this movie. I've always, like, so like again, when Rob brought it up, I knew what it was. Yeah, I didn't know exactly how much of it was. Like I know it was like a guy with stock footage of of a martial arts movie, like mm-hmm. sprinkled in. I didn't know how much of it. I thought like when Rob, when I originally was like reading about this movie, I thought it was gonna be very Power Rangers esque, okay, where you okay. have like a bunch of old kaiju like mm, clips mm-hmm. and you have like you pay like a bunch of like 25 year olds to play teenagers and like obviously i know steve odekirk's not a 25 year old teenager <laughs> but i thought that's what it was gonna be like steve like steve odekirk would be like oh i i am the the chosen one i am going to save the day yep. and then like all the fight scenes would be the original actor but like during talking scenes it would just be a close-up on his face oh okay. and then that's what I was expecting, Power Rangers-esque. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's not what this is. And we really, 
should be highlighting, or I guess the culture should be highlighting. Like again, yeah. so many there's so many YouTube people out there, and Rob knows my certain disgust with a particular YouTube person who just reads the Wikipedia page, then oh, gets yeah. two million views on YouTube because of it. That, this theme should... park opened in 2001. <laughs> citation needed. It had six rides. Citation needed. That's my that's my impersonation. <laughs> yeah, like like, but like, considering there's so many of those for like movies. Yeah, Kung Pao deserves that sort of recognition, much like yeah, Free and like real scary stories. Even though Kung Pao isn't forgotten media, it's like. What's one step above that? What is media that's not forgotten but deserves recognition? Mm, mm. And this came out like pre-internet. Yeah. Like in the age of the internet, we have so many people now have the access to like make things of quality. Mm. And that, like I, and I forgot, I have somebody on Twitter I was reading was like, "Oh, be prepared for like everybody's argument as to why you should be like consuming any type of media being." Oh. It's underappreciated. And it's like we live in a culture, say, where everybody ha- makes good stuff or relatively good stuff compared to yeah. what we're used to. Like everything is going to be underappreciated. We don't have the time to appreciate everything as a culture. Mm-hmm. So everything's going to be underappreciated to, to, to some extent. Yep. Yet this came out in a time before that where it really should have been highlighted. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Because I, because I look at the box office grosses for this. Oh. This came, this come out at the end of two thousand one or the beginning of two thousand two. I think it was the beginning of two thousand two. Was it? I don't that's remember. What, I don't recall exactly. That's what I thought, but the copyright date on this is two thousand one. Mm, okay, it might have been the end then. I, I don't know. I know it got a theatrical release because it did get a trailer. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it made wor- <laughs> a budget of ten million dollars. It made around sixteen worldwide. Okay. So probably with DVD and rental sales, it probably broke even, if mm-hmm. I had to guess. Maybe eked out a small profit. Sure. But again, there's no like, there's no Blu-ray. Yeah. That's, bummer. that's astounding considering the crap that's getting Blu-ray transfers today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, I you would know better than I do, but it, you know, kind of my knowledge is that everything gets a Blu-ray release, you know, and it's like not everything, and clearly not everything. Not this. Not the stuff that you know deserves it. Some of the stuff that deserves it. That this is a weird thing. That this was a 20th Century Fox release. Yes. And the, it's like anything. You have to know like who owns what. Like sometimes, like I would imagine. I don't know how much of Steve Oderkirk put the money into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like just because Fox released it, he might have just asked. Like, because a lot of times, if he produced it with his own money, he can go to them and be like, oh. I want you to distribute this. Yeah, yeah. And they'll handle the marketing and the prints, the prints and stuff to get it to mm-hmm. theaters. But I think they get like a, a fee, maybe they maybe get like a ten percent commission okay. for doing that. So it would depend on what sort of deal he made with them. I can't imagine he self financed this. I can't mm-hmm. imagine him, or maybe he did. Like he was a guy with a lot of clout in the nineties. Yeah. So maybe somebody did. He maybe he did fundraise ten million dollars. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. That that's kind of the weird thing. That's kind of if, if he's ever a Dragon Con again, somebody has to ask him how to finance this. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Dragon Con and interview him. <laughs> you have to be drunk, Zach. <laughs> no, you're gonna be funny. The guy who interviews him, like he either has he's either very intoxicated or he has a very bad speech impediment. As yeah. Rob knows, guess what? Chicken butt. Yes, first <laughs> and foremost. Anytime he says guess what, you gotta say chicken butt. If Booker did not finance this. Guess who owns it now? 
Disney! Disney <laughs> owns Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Oh boy, Disney owns something else. What a surprise. <laughs> Oh, like, I think it was just in the last like couple of days it was announced that I think Disney's like on the verge of getting like all the foreign governments to sign off on the dis on the Fox deal. God. So uh, yeah, that you that's ever see that movie? Oh, was Jude Law in it and Forrest Whitaker Repo Men? Yeah, where it's like they're the rent pen, like yeah. people people rent organs and then when they don't pay for the organs, like these Repo Men are able to come in and just straight murder them and take the organs back. They should reshoot that movie, and the company should be Disney. Like, Disney's like, you can rent organs from us, but we're going to murder you when you miss a payment. Like, that would be the closest thing to the future that we're headed towards. It's like Disney Repo Men, where they're cutting out lungs and livers from people. <laughs> That's what happens when you bootleg Avengers. You, you get, you get, they steal your organs as compensation. Yeah. <laughs> oh Take a God. kidney. <laughs> It's really hard to believe that, like, out of the three things we've talked about, like, Freaked, Real Scary Stories, and now this, <laughs> Disney owns it. Oh, like, God. what does Disney, like, does Disney own elves? Should we contact Disney and be like, do you have a print of this somewhere we could borrow for an afternoon? Probably. I mean, I, I'm expecting, um, I don't think we said it on this podcast, but Zach has reached out to a library in Ohio to try and get a VHS copy of elves. I think a Disney lawyer is going to show up on your doorstep with like the letter and be like, we intercepted this. You cannot get our property. <laughs> and they're going to take a kidney. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who God knows? damn it. Disney. God damn it. Disney. <laughs> uh, I, I just thought about that. Like right now, I'm like, God damn it. It's another thing. Disney owns. Like yep. if Fox, if Fox wasn't greedy enough to release this on Blu-ray to make a couple of bucks, Disney just go let it sit there. The DVD will go out of print. It'll be like $80 mm -hmm. on eBay in a couple of years. Yep. Rob, do you own a physical copy of this? I do not. I actually don't. Rob, Only go out and buy a copy. <laughs> Rob, go out and buy a copy of this. So we have it for our, as a physical cinemati. Okay. Okay. I, I'll, I'll tell my dad. I'll say chosen one to my dad. Maybe he'll go buy one. <laughs> <laughs> so my question to Rob is, and I think Rob might have hinted at this already, but how did okay? Because you own all the thumb movies. Yep. So how did you come across this? I think it was um just you know after I found the thumb movies and I fell in love with them, um I wanted to see what else Steve Odekirk had done, and this popped up because this is kind of all him as the creative force, and uh, and I think. I think we ended up, like, uh, I don't know, renting it or something way back in the day, like, when rentals still happened. That's how we first saw it, and it kind of just, you know, stuck in my mind ever since. Okay, so this, this wasn't maybe, like... maybe we taped it off a of TV. That could be possible. I might have a VHS somewhere where there's, like, a James Bond movie and then this. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a movie that would have been played on HBO a lot. That's Back what I'm thinking. Yeah, that it was on an HBO because if you remember, that's where I first saw Freaked early in the morning on HBO. So that might be the case. This was on HBO um, after I was trying to look for it, and we taped it or something like that. Yeah, that's one thing I've realized that over the years that like cable will play a lot of weird stuff at like four, like that like four to six a.m. slot. Mm -hmm. Cable programmers just throw anything in there. It's kind of like the hot dogs of the programming <laughs> schedule. They just put anything in there as long as it's just filler. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Yeah, that scene. This, this definitely has that like HBO vibe to it, where it'd be like, they like they play it like once, like Saturday at like eight o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. Then like after that, and considering that, like I think Rob explained it in the Freaked episodes, like oh, he was up at like five a.m. in the morning. Yeah, and I could get ready for half school. an hour of it. Yeah, yeah, and then you look for it after that until you eventually and you're like, oh, okay, I have thing. to be, I have to be home on Tuesday at three p.m. to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yeah. So okay. But yeah, freak. Oh, not freaked. Oh god, all these the pantheon, the pantheon of movies that Rob <laughs> and I are going to attempt a a Mission Impossible esque yeah. rescue. The same, like we have, to, we have to find out like what salt mine Disney owns, and they keep like all the prints of these films it's that we have to go rescue one day. <laughs> it's, it's Yucca Mountain, right? They, you, you drive to Yucca Mountain. Where's Yucca Mountain? I think it's like or Yucca. I don't have to pronounce. That. I think it's like Arizona. You drive into the mountain. You pass the security gates, you take a left, you get to where they put all the spent uranium rods from nuclear power plants, and you go to the right, you get the Disney vault. <laughs> that's where Walt Disney's frozen head is. Uh, that's where the freaked master print is. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's that's where your Black Cauldron Blu-ray is. <laughs> oh, I can only hope. I wonder, and this is kind of getting off topic from Kung Pao, but... Like all these like original like the original negatives should mm-hmm. be in like salt mines like to obviously keep them dry. Yes. Does does do the mo- major movie studios own the salt mine or are they just renting space in them? <sighs> Shit, uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine that they're renting space. I can't imagine they would buy the the land or or the land plus the. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, the only thing that kind of pops into my head is, you know, after World War Two, when like, at, you know, it was oh, Hitler was dead and, and they were kind of like going through all of Europe to find all the art that Hitler stole. And they like found like like little Nazi reserves where they just had like salt mines, basically, where there was just shitloads of paintings and artworks in these mines. I uh, of course, that was World War Two. And they were just, you know, forcefully using these places. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, Zach's right. That's established that you keep this type of stuff in certain conditions and uh, renting would probably be my best answer unless, and here's the kicker, Disney is taking a page out of the Nazi playbook and forcefully <laughs> taking over salt mines, which could be the case. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I think I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, the Magnificent Seven, the beginning where the guy's like. Either either you take ten dollars for all your land, or I'm going to murder you. Like I think that's what Disney's doing. If they're like, <laughs> we'll give you a hundred bucks for this salt mine. No, this is worth millions of dollars. And then someone dies, you know, in a car accident, and the next thing you know, Disney's got a salt mine. Twenty dollars for each parcel of dust. That is my offer. My land is worth three times that. Oh, Oh god! They re- they repurposed the Repo Men from when you illegally download <laughs> Avengers. They they then got wire a bomb under your car. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh my lord. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, like, obviously, certain movies, like Disney, like, Disney being one of them, like has like uh, archives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They probably keep a lot of that stuff like in in house. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would imagine, like the original like negative for like Snow White, Cinderella. It's probably like in yeah. a probably like in a climate controlled vault on their property somewhere. Definitely. In, definitely. in California, I mean, when I say their property. Yeah, yeah. But something like Fox, I can't imagine Fox carrying it all. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, that'd be my question. Like, does, does one of us get a job working at, like, a salt mine? <laughs> and just be like, when nobody's looking one day, just, like, make, like, a couple couple aisles down from the the, the spent uranium fuel rods. <laughs> yeah. We, we go and we find, like, the original negative to, like, Freaked and Come Pow. That'd be great. That should be uh, the next Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones and the Disney Vault. <laughs> And the whole point is he has to go down there to help his like arthritis in his joints because there's no moisture. And <laughs> yeah. that's just like uh that's like a pot as a benefit from it all. Oh look, I found the prints to like old Fox movies that nobody cares about anymore. <laughs> yep, yep, that'd be good. <laughs> oh god. So uh Rob, what, what other avenues can we take when it comes to uh Kung Pao Enter the Fist? Well, I think we I think we discussed the thing that's you know is the most pressing is that more people should, you know, uh, view this or acknowledge it for the, the technical masterpiece that it is. And maybe just Steve Odekirk as, you know, kind of the, um, like we said, the visual effects, the, the, the ability that he is able to show. And with the finesse that we get in this movie, he deserves more respect. Um, I, I think the, the thing that I, I want to, of course, you knew I had to talk about it. Um, the lines in this movie, the voice acting, I love his delivery. It's all Steve Odekirk, like we said. Um, there's a few things I wanted to know if you picked up on. But before I ask that, were there any jokes that actually like really stood out to you? Because, yes, they're sophomoric, and we've talked about that. And you said the baby rolling down the hill you thought was funny. Was there anything, you know, maybe with the, with the footage that, that stood out to you that you thought was really funny? I chuckled a few times. Sure, sure. No, probably things I'm forgetting, but no, there really wasn't anything that like I really kind of guffawed at. Gotcha. Or, or really, st- no, it has its moments. Yep. Um, so I guess the the thing I want to ask you then is, um, what did you think about the uh, I guess the dubbing that since it is supposed to be an old martial arts movie, none of the voices line up with people's lips. I, I've always loved that, and especially they they play with it fully, where we get to see a dog bark. And you don't hear any noise, but then you hear the dog bark. Yeah. Like they even put yeah. the dub over the animal. That's always been hilarious to me. It's it's like um, you know, it's those little stylistic choices when you, like you said, with the thumbs, when you're making fun of the world you you're living in, when you know what you're doing and you can make fun and jokes based on that. It's like um, it's like in Trailer Park Boys, the show where it's mockumentary style and there's like an establishing shot of a trailer and a cat walks by and they blur the cat's face out like the cat didn't sign a release. It's great. It's like that's that's funny. Like that's a very little clever touch. And I really like a lot of the dubbing stuff that they do in this movie with that. It, it works really well because it, it fits the uh, the motif. Oh yeah, like no, like that's the sort of stuff I appreciated because, mm-hmm. like, like Rob, I mentioned, I like it when you play with the the the, the rules of the world that you're yeah. you're making your movie in, because I re- this is the IMDb trivia page was that he deliberately for his own dialogue would do something like um, I have to go to the grocery store that would be the line of dialogue or whatever oh, okay and then, and then he would sit there. Um, when he actually would say what that line was to be on set, he would say something like something similar. Instead of saying, I have to go to the grocery store, be, I got to go to the, so his mouth would deliberately not be the same thing. Yeah. So again, that's clever. The fact that he actually thought about the dialogue. Then when he was on set, he figured, Oh, I want to deliberately look even further jarring to make Mm -hmm. what I'm doing blend into the rest of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and like you, like we said, playing with the world you live in, you set your rules, you make fun of it. Like with the great scene where I think it's the master and he's like taking care of um, Ling's father that got beat up by Betty with his claws. And like the guys in the like, he's bleeding, he's all bandaged up and he's in the bed and he, he says something and he's like, do you understand? And we get a shot of the master nodding his head 
Like, yes. And then he goes, no, I do <laughs> not understand. Like, perfect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice touch. Absolutely. That was a novel concept to be that level of meta and ironic. Mm-hmm. In the late 90s, early 2000s. Because, yes, the things like, like The Simpsons were kind of really kind of hammering that home. Futurama. Yeah. I guess it was kind of the era of where that started to become really, really everywhere. It became ubiquitous. Because that's the thing about Futurama, Family Guy, mm-hmm. South Park. South Park probably being the really biggest one of that. Yep. But for a, a feature, well, feature-length film, I guess. That yeah, played like 80, 80 minutes, right? Yeah, something like that. That this was a novel concept. It, it really in, in that aspect too, because mm-hmm. in the inter, the same interview with the drunk guy, Steve Oderkirk says that when he originally was doing all this, because when they were cleaning up the footage, he had voice actors in mind for all the characters. Oh. But while he was working on it, cleaning it up, he would deliberately just voice things impromptu mm-hmm. to give the later on give the voice actors what he wanted them to say because he figured oh i'm going to clean up the dialogue later yeah i'm going to uh like or re- refine the lines it was when he was doing a like post-production he realized oh i like how it is with my voice sure so like he so he basically said that what he did initially was just temporary okay and when push came to shove he just liked how it was so he kept it right on right on that's cool no i like that you know where because uh he's able to make that decision he's able to you know kind of fall back on himself and understand that, you know, he can create a, a finished product in the way that he wants it. He doesn't need to rely on the other people. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's one thing, too, that's funny about Steve Oderkirk is that, like, his name in quote-unquote brand is behind, like, in the Thumb movies, Kung Pao. Yep. Yeah, you look at the credits for all this stuff and the amount of people that are behind it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A certain level of genius and devilry in, in coming across that way, like putting your your face and name so mm-hmm. far out in front of something that you're like, wow, this guy's really talented for wearing that many hats. Then you, when you see there's like 15 minutes of credits for everything that he's involved with, <laughs> yeah, like, like there, there is a talent there that like you're able to like balance that sort of like, oh, it was all me. Mm-hmm. But look at all these people who that brought my vision to fruition. Exactly. Yep. That's, again, that's another talent that he has that. Even though that that's really hard to accomplish nowadays, mm-hmm. and, and there are some people that are able to get away with that, but it's it's real. I have not seen it done so well since him. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely, it's awesome. So I think uh, another thing I, I mentioned it to Zach off mic last week, but I told him in this movie to keep an eye out for a Titanic joke. Oh, I did yes, you? I, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so right, I think it's right after the fight with the cow, um, because the cow is like Betty's guardian or something. Like you have to get through, you have to beat the cow before you can get to Betty, who just swings a chain at the top of the waterfall. When we get the establishing shot of the waterfall, uh, you can see a ship like under the water, and it says Titanic. Yep. <laughs> yep. So that's. I'm glad you picked up on that, Zach. Um, it, it's all coming together. You know, it's like we said. Remember last week we talked about Bat Thumb and how there's that the the net overpowering can't breathe, and that joke is in here as well. Like, so we got the Thumb Tanic, Titanic. Like, yeah, he he uh, he knows his humor and he he knows what he likes. Absolutely. <laughs> I was really hoping that same like uh, portrait of the Titanic sinking would be would show up again. That would have been great. That would have been awesome. No, we just get things like. Hooters superimposed in the background at some scenes when they're like walking through the village. <laughs> oh man! So I have to I have to bring up um, because it's gotta be a a joke of 
Total Recall. Total Recall, we get the three-breasted woman. In this oh. movie, we get the one-breasted woman. Right? Like, I I guess it might just be me and, you know, Total Recall is, and the three-breasted woman. I always think of those things. But th- this is the one-breasted woman. What do you think of that? What's her name? Her, I think her name, the character's name is Woe. Like, W-H-O-A. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's that's the sort of, like, sophomore humor where it was like, okay, like, cute. You have a woman with one boob. Mm-hmm fine like that's that's something where it's like i you need something again sophomore whatever not my cup of tea but i got nothing against it either sure sure it always makes me think a total recall and she does she is the one who has the great lines she's like we will meet again chosen one <laughs> many more times in the sequel <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that when they get those jokes going absolutely oh that um so she is not old footage, of course. That's a new person, the one-breasted woman that wasn't in the old martial arts movie. Um, I think the other thing we get new is the the lion in the sky, right? Yeah. M- Mushu Fasa, as he's called. That's one of the... F- I always love the joke where it's like he appears, the chosen one's like, what do I do? Show me the way. And this lion appears in the sky. And he's like, Simba, I am not Simba. I'm the chosen one. And he goes, oh, sorry. And as the lion's talking to him, he keeps calling the chosen one Cho Simba. Simba. I am not Simba. I am the chosen one. Ah, yes. I am Mushu Fasa. You must not be troubled, Cho Simba one. He took everything from me. A family I never knew. What good am I now? His powers are greater than mine. Yes. Plus, when you were hit with his iron claw, you did scream like a wussy. Look inside yourself, Cho Simba. You must take your place in the great circle of... stuff. Behold the symbols. One over here. The other over there. Remember, weakening and defeating Betty is the first step to revealing the Council's identity. What is this evil Council everyone speaks of? The answer you seek resides in the stars above. I don't understand. Of course you don't. I'm speaking in riddles. That's kind of the point, like a clue that will later make you go, Oh, that's what he meant. Stars above. Please tell me, what is my purpose? Train, Chosimba. You must reach the next level. This is CNN. Wait, Mushu! CNN. One of my tongues! Mushu! Like, like that. He's like, Cho Simba, you must defeat Betty. And then at the very end, when he's like, I'm saying something in riddles, so you'll figure it out later. And then he leaves and he goes, This is CNN. Yeah, yeah, I like CNN. That. Like, that is, that is all over the place humor, but it works. It works because that's Steve Odekirk's style. It's great. This feels very much like a spiritual successor to the thumb films. 
Okay. It, yeah. it, has, it has all the comedic hallmarks of the thumb films, mm-hmm. yet it's bringing it to the next level. Especially, what's it? Does his tongue have a name? Tonguey. Tonguey, yes. So tonguey. it's not thummy, it's tonguey. tonguey. Get it? Ah! <laughs> and Zach, I want to ask you did you know that tonguey has a credit in the cast? Uh, why am I not surprised? Because the one-eyed thumb was always himself. If you watch the credits of this movie, when you get to Tungy in the cast, it says that Tungy is played by Escobar Tung. That is in the credits, that Tungy is Escobar Tung. So you're right. It's just, it is in every way, shape, and form. It's a spiritual successor to the thumb movies. Just move to tongues. <laughs> Good old Escobar Tung. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we can go on forever about all the things I find funny in this movie. The gopher chucks at the beginning. He uses a squirrel at the end as, like, a bulletproof vest. Uh, there's jokes that, you know, the, the nonsense of Betty, and he's like, you know, eh, like he's making that noise constantly. Oh, it's so good. There's that one, isn't there that one line where, like, Betty sits down in one of the first scenes with him, and he's like, gentlemen. What do you get when you cross an owl and a bungee cord? My ass. <laughs> and then, like, they all laugh, and it makes no sense at all. <laughs> I am nice man with happy feelings all of the time. First, a joke. What do you get when you cross an owl with a bungee cord? My ass. <laughs> Enough! There's many inexplicable things in this film as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so I guess something we don't often um, ask, I should say, but I think it's worth it for this movie. Since we talked about how it's kind of forgotten, but not really, there's some people supporting it. And yeah, this kind of gets into cinema and late night movie. Uh, would you recommend this? Do you think that people should actually go out and see this? There's the, there's the context of the movie, or the, the, the content of the movie, I should say. And then there's the content of the creation. And, and they're definitely a little split, you know? Like, there, there's the sophomore jokes versus the masterful techniques behind it. And I guess that's why I'm asking this question, you know, uh, is it worth watching for those things? Are we talking about a cinemati or just in general? I don't know. I think in general. Would you recommend this to somebody? Uh, in general, probably not. Maybe okay. as an academic exercise. The only way I can kind of relate this to, I kind of feel like if you are a movie aficionado and you, it's like, um, I remember it's on like the DVD box for Tron or the 2002 release. It was like a, it, the tagline was a milestone in the, the something, something visual effects industry. Okay. And I think this is something you'd have to include. Like, I, I can't imagine any, well, excuse me, present company excluded. I can't <laughs> imagine anybody watching this for yucks. Like, it's just not my type of humor. I guess I would imagine some people would appreciate it, but it's such specific humor. You really have to know your audience. Mm -hmm. But I think as an academic exercise and just uh, how unique this film is, I I think, again, academic exercise, if you were, I don't know, teaching a a film course on, like, um, oh, God, unorthodox Mm-hmm. CGI and just visual effects. Yeah, yeah. Or invisible special effects. I think you'd have to include this. Okay. Even though some some of the seams are like my thing with this, like yes, yeah, some of the seams of this are clearly showing. But I think if Steve Odekirk was like, okay, I want I want to hide this, 
he could have. Sure. I, I think sure. every scene that's showing from a visual effects standpoint is deliberately there mm-hmm. because he chose to leave it there. Like, yes, like, like the French aliens in their pyramid spaceships and like in the giant like speaker comes out. No, that is clearly yeah. tethered to special effects of that era. Mm-hmm. But I think anything beyond that, he deliberately chose to. But no, I think I think you could kind of boil this into also my cinematic choice. Yeah. Definite cinematic, no doubt about it. Late night movie, you'd have to know your audience really well. I think mm-hmm. if you showed this to the wrong group of people, it would go over like a lead balloon. What I'm getting at with this question is that you're so right. Is that you know when I now when I watch this movie, yes, I find it funny, like we said. Except for Rob, that's going to be our mug for cinematics. <laughs> um, that yeah, I, I I find it funny, but I would show this to someone and be and probably be like, it's funny, but do you see what he's doing? Have you ever seen anything like this? Like I would want to draw attention to that. So I like your answer as an academic exercise. Um, I guess it's another except for Rob moment that uh, <laughs> late night movies are academic exercises. <laughs> When it's 2 a.m. and you're intoxicated and you're watching something, that is an academic exercise. <laughs> I have to agree. It's absolutely cinematity, 100%. Um, late night movie, I'm going to say yes as well. But I, I think we're kind of – what when we say know your audience, that kind of applies to most late night movies, right? Like you kind of have to know your No, audience. well, I don't – I think it's – okay, late night movie is a very specific – like, again, I, I've never experienced a late night movie before in the way <laughs> Rob has – I think, again, you have to know your audience. Like, you could show somebody a like, okay. Like, my late night movie in the crown jewel of the cinema thing would be like a racer head. Sure. Like, I think, like, if you're up with people at 2 a.m., and even though I have, I have very stringent rules for how you show a racer head, mm-hmm. I think if you have, if all my rules comply, I think you could do that with pretty much any audience except for children. Ha, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, but I think with this, I, I'd be much more hard pressed to show. Like, I have to re- like, especially I, I don't particularly like it. But like, if I had somebody who I knew really, like, back when I was in college in like film studies, and like, does anybody have a movie that's like creative or unorthodox or outside the box that's not just stupid, but actually like puts something new like into the conversation space yes. to like talk about? I could rec- I would I could wholeheartedly recommend this okay, for that okay. reason. I know most people would be like, "What?" And yeah. once you explain to them, like, "What is that?" and you're like, "Oh, that movie," like I would imagine nine tenths of that room would shoot it down. Mm-hmm. But I think it, at least it deserves a spot at the table. Even if it's never yeah. allowed to speak, it deserves a spot <laughs> at the table. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Right on. Right on. Absolutely. Yeah. This is um. This is a masterpiece. This is a unique masterpiece. And I'm glad we got it on here. I'm glad it's part of the, the cinema of these canon. Absolutely. All right. So I, in my research during the thumb movies, I want to bring this up during the last two weeks, but I always forgot. But now sure. I did. I because I was curious about like what's happened to Steve Odekirk. So I went to his website, mm-hmm. odawork.com. Nice. It looks like he hasn't updated the website since like 1995. <laughs> but if you look, I think Rob can pull it up right now if he wants while I read from it. The website is very clearly late 90s inspired. And this is what it says. It says Steve Odekirk has like a Rubik's Cube graphic of like pictures of him. Okay. And it says Steve's films have earned a total worldwide revenue of $3.8 billion. And then it has like in oh god, like aerial font. Steve is colon Academy Award nominated exclamation point. Emmy Award winning 
Annie Award winning, International Puccinella Award winning. Um, I just pulled it up. I have no idea what the Puccinella Award is, though. (laughs) But then it said that his films have a worldwide revenue of $3.8 billion. Think about that. Revenue of $3.8 billion. They scroll down. It says theatrical gross of over $2 billion and growing. How do you have revenue of three point eight with only a gross of two billion? <laughs> How could you be making more money when there's not even that much money there? Yeah, really. And it says uh, it's over two billion and growing, mm-hmm. over a hundred and seventy million dollar average per movie. You see the quote on the left? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Before we get into that, this is great. <laughs> think about this. Over 170 million average per movie. Mm-hmm. Kung Pao grossed 17. So how <laughs> bad did that drag down the average? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Like if you take <laughs> Kung Pao out, the average has to be like what 300? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a definitely dragging it down for sure. So Rob, what is the quote on the side? Please read it for everybody to hear. The quote is one great day, sea urchins will rise and rule the earth. And then it's attributed to Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's great. That's that is Steve Odekirk humor. <laughs> so you look in like the rest. Of, basically, after that, it's like his filmography, like has all of his feature films yeah. that he was involved with. The Again, Pat, yeah, Patch Adams, Bruce Almighty. But no, when you get to the animation, there's some fun things here. Like it has Jimmy Neutron, the movie, which apparently he was nominated for an Academy Award for that. Oh, Go figure. Look at that. Uh, the the TV show, which says top three shows on Nickelodeon's network entire series run. I don't care what time you look at Nickelodeon's history. I am almost certain that's not true. <laughs> it says, I don't even know what the hell that means. Well, what that he's trying to say is that it's like an all time like, um, oh god, top three shows on network's entire series run. Okay. Most most shows didn't make it that long. Like that was always the joke that like like Nick uh, Rugrats was always the longest running show, mm. and then it was um, SpongeBob. Like SpongeBob, yep. like obviously SpongeBob's still going on to this day. Jimmy Neutron might. Okay, now that I think about it, it might have been number third because I know that show started like he's probably counting the year the movie premiere, which I think was like December of two thousand one, uh, sure. and I think it ran to like two thousand eight. Okay. I, th- I think, or maybe 2006. I don't know. I forget what, yeah, how I long Jimmy Neutron, Jimmy Neutron ran. He's probably counting that, but like that's horribly out of date. And probably by the last time he updated it, it was probably yeah. out of date. Yeah, definitely. And he even, and this is one thing I think is even. Oh yeah, he says over 12 years on the air. Mm-hmm. Think about it. if that were true, Jimmy Neutron was canceled by like 2000. Nine. There's no way that over 12 years. That means that it was on the air still by 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, okay, maybe maybe he means by it's still airing. Like that's reruns. what I was about to say. Like, yeah, maybe it's like when they would you know keep showing them or something. Maybe he's counting that. Like this feels like the resume of like a college freshman. <laughs> like everything is padded to like an insane degree. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and my one of my favorites on here is over a hundred million dollars of ad support on series premiere. Yeah. Okay. Hundred oh, no, million. Do- think about. Um, you know what I think he did? He probably just figured he took all the ad revenue that Nickelodeon got at the time the series premiered. Mm-hmm. Not just for Jimmy Neutron, but probably all the ad revenue they collected yeah. when the show probably debuted. That's which a good point. Is horribly misleading. Yeah, yeah. That's not the statistic that 
means anything for this person. No, no, that that's it's, again, it's horribly dishonest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we have Barnyard, which I think a couple of weeks ago we heard me having a uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, an aneurysm over the fact that that was a thing he was involved with. Yeah, because there's a '69 joke in it. That's what I. That's the only thing I remember. Oh yes, yeah, from Ernest. <laughs> from Ernest, the fact yep. that Kirk was involved with it. Hey kids, after mentioning it twice, Rob would love to play the 69 joke from Barnyard, but neither wants to watch the movie nor look at clips to find it. But no, okay, this is the thing that he has Barnyard feature film listed. He has only one bullet point under it, and it says Paramount's number one summer film. That is an out and out lie. Okay, that was, yeah, that was going to be my question. You would know better than I do. I um, knew that was a lie the very moment I saw that, because this movie as we discussed during the Ernest Saves <laughs> Christmas episode, came yeah. out in August of 2006. <laughs> and I know very famously that summer was when Mission Impossible 3 came out. Mm. And that was Paramount's like major tentpole that summer. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody even needs me to fact check that Mission Impossible 3 grossed and made more money than Barnyard did. Uh, yeah, I would I would believe that for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that that is just an out and out lie. Like he would have said the number like Paramount's number one summer kids film. Yeah. Or, or number one or animated, or... I'd be like, oh again, there's like five qualifiers on that yeah but that number one summer film is a lie like there's no there's there's like no there's no arguing it like it was not uh do you see what it says under the back of the barnyard tv series that we get because jimmy neutron was top three shows this is top two shows what yeah that yeah that's (laughs) i didn't even know there was a tv series of this (laughs) Yeah, there was. Rob, come on, don't you know on Nickelodeon's lineup it was SpongeBob, Barnyard, and Jimmy Neutron? That's all they played, yeah. That's all they played, just those three things. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. After that, um, I think it's funny if you scroll down under he has a section for cult comedies. Yeah, and it's just Kung Pao. Uh, did you see the one highlighted? Oh under my god, it? yeah. A constantly growing fan base. Didn't we didn't we discuss this <laughs> and disprove it? <laughs> And it might not be constantly growing. It might more, more be like just a stagnant fan base. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to imagine that like the title of this episode should be Cinemodies, a thesis on Steve Odekirk's resume yeah. website. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and, then, and then like how under cult comedies, it's just thumbs. Like yeah. there's nothing about them. It's just thumbs. Oh, yeah. We can't even click on them, man. Damn. Okay. At least they're on there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, did you have a question? When you have your thumb movies, did you have just the individual releases, or did you have the box set? I have the individual releases. I don't have this all thumbs picture that he's showing here. Oh man, what a horrible thumb fan you are! Spines on this picture are identical to the spines I have, though. I do know that. Yeah, I, I figured that. Looking at the omation, like like three D animation stuff, mm-hmm. I went looking for some of his like three D films. Okay, and. Like, they're there, like, the Santa versus the Snowman was, like, something that, like, back before IMAX theaters became, like, the dumping ground for, like, okay. big-budget tentpoles. Yep. Like, like when you'd see, like, just documentaries at IMAX theaters, mm-hmm. they would play some of these. Like, considering, like, you're spending, like, $45 for, like, an IMAX ticket. Yeah. And you're getting, like, a 15-minute-long, like, documentary narrated by Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. They figure, like, okay, people are going to be mad, so, like, they have, like, a little pre-show. Oh, gotcha. And, and it's going to be, like, a 12-minute short that they would play yeah. before it. That's what I guess he was doing because in the in the same interview that in this 2015 interview, 
he says a comment like I was involved or I was aware of CGI animation before anybody else was. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you say that yeah, considering that like <laughs> considering that like Pixar was doing stuff like in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sorry. I mean, um, like mid 80s, like they were working on like little like, I don't know, like Listerine commercials and things sure. like that. Okay. In a very limited capacity. I don't know how you can say that you were involved with 3D animation before anybody else was. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Steve Oderkirk before he got like his, his Hollywood breaks with Jim Carrey, maybe he was like a, I don't know, a technician at like, yeah. like a very early like Pixar. Who knows? Yep. No idea. But I know that he says like, oh, like, and it's on his resume too. It's like one of the last things saying like, I introduced Nickelodeon to 3D mm-hmm. animation. Yep. Like he's he reiterates that in in the interview. Oh, okay, okay. So go figure. Yeah, yeah, who knows? We gotta we gotta interview him ourselves. Get the get the details. <laughs> well, I was I was looking on um on Reddit or for, like, not Reddit, I was looking on the internet and I found a Reddit like subreddit about this. And apparently somebody like, like, I guess it was Rob under an account wrote like, <laughs> oh, I'm a big fan of Steve Oderkirk. What happened to him? He essentially like dropped off the face of the earth for the last sure. decade. And somebody essentially, a couple people have written things like, oh, he was in like San Francisco for an anniversary screening of Kung Pao. Like okay. really nice guy. Nice. Another person wrote something like, oh, Steve Oderkirk spoke at a medical high school media program convention mm. a couple of years ago. I was a junior at high school, and he was a really great speaker. I didn't know much about him until I heard he worked on Jimmy Neutron. Everyone in the room, which was a large ballroom, uh, uh, was eating up everything that he said. He's still around and still seems genuinely enthusiastic about what he's done, at least as of spring 2017 when I was at cool. the convention. Not sure what else he's been up to. I'd love to see more from him. Yeah. Uh, and then another one said, I remember an interview with Jim Carrey on Howard Stern where he talked about him. He says that he was in a bad car accident and became immensely spiritual when he survived and recovered. Ah. He sold everything he owned and donated all of his time and money to charity and now lives a quiet, semi-retired life from Hollywood. Oh, okay. Okay. So he might have become he might have become a who knows, like a born-again spiritualist. Mm. Yeah. But what that, that we'll, we'll ask him when we interview him. <laughs> we can find him. Yeah. Somebody also brought up the concept of how we kind of were talking about, like, the idea of, like, remaking an entire movie from a pre-existing movie. Mm -hmm. And then someone in the comments claimed that that he wasn't the first one to do this. Apparently, Woody Allen made his feature-length directorial debut with the film What's Up, Tiger Lily? Woody Allen took a Japanese spy film, International Secret Police, Key of Keys, and overdubbed it with completely original dialogue that had nothing to do with the plot of the original film. By putting in new scenes and rearranging the order of existing scenes, he completely changed the tone of the film from a James Bond clone into a comedy about the search for the world's best egg salad recipe. Oh, interesting. I can't believe I've never heard that before about Woody Allen. Yeah. Apparently, he even a couple scenes, uh, Woody Allen even like put himself into it like in the background. Sure. So Steve Oderkirk isn't as original as we thought. But it is definitely groundbreaking in the scheme of doing something like that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I would love to see that uh, Woody Allen film now and, and kind of compare the two. Absolutely. The more you know, folks, the more you know. The internet is a treasure trove of information beyond just memes and cat videos. And arguing, yeah. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. <laughs> Calling each other hateful rhetoric. Oh, man. <laughs> right on, right on. No, that's really cool. That's cool. That's some good research. So, Rob, anything else we can discuss about this film? 
No, I think you know we we hit the the points I wanted to make. We could talk about the um talk about the jokes and stuff like that, but but like like we said, you know, this movie is um it's something it's unique. It's a masterpiece. It's a cinematity, late night movie, all that stuff. Other than that, you know, I, I would say definitely check it out for that technical aspect, stuff like that. Other than that, I think uh, might be uh, ready to move on to snack. What do you got? Anything else? Nope, that's it. I, okay. I, uh, I think I've said everything I had to about this movie. I think I have the lowest hanging snack for this, okay? F- fist? We eat fist? No, maybe even lower than that. For Kung Pao Enter the Fist, we serve... Oh. Kung Pao, enter the chicken, and it's just Kung Pao chicken. <laughs> it's One not even Kung Pao meals. beef. No, Kung Pao chicken. Uh, beef might be good because we have the cow in this movie. Yeah, right? so I figured Kung Pao beef. Okay, okay, I could, I could get behind that. I guess um, I just went with Kung Pao chicken because that's what I'm more familiar with from the actual Chinese restaurants. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha, but no, gotcha, Kung Pao, gotcha. Kung Pao beef, Kung Pao chicken. Maybe it's um, just Kung Pao dish and you could order like a different protein or something like that there you go <laughs> so um of course i think another low-hanging fruit one pound of nuts <laughs> well and when you order the nuts maybe it's an appetizer or something the waiter is gonna say that's a lot of nuts <laughs> i'll take a pound of nuts that's a lot of nuts <laughs> the last one i have i think might be the uh the most dangerous of the three i'm pitching but in the scene that we get where the Chosen One is trying to figure out how to defeat Betty, and he's, like, fighting the wooden mannequins with the little caps on their nipples, so he's trying to, like, rip them off, and he's having a rough time, and he cuts his hands up, and Ling is like, show me your hands. Does it hurt? And he, she puts lemon on him. Does it hurt now? And she puts salt on him. So I, I say that you just get a plate of lemon juice, salt, and mercury. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Like, just a bowl, or maybe, like, a little plate, and that that's it. All mixed together. That That's what you order, and that's what you receive. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff we have to worry about with mercury, but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just have open mercury in our restaurant. That's safe, right? <laughs> I think so. I think we, I think we can uh, bribe the uh, health inspector. So those are my three. What do you got, Zach, for snacks? All right, I've got at least uh, a couple. One that's kind of playing off what Rob was doing. Of course, I am the snack master. Oh, I am Odd Zach, connoisseur of context, the Lego maniac. And one, you dropped out there. In <laughs> <laughs> one name that actually I've been saying I forgot, but I that I went back and re-listened to an episode, and I remember oh. what it was. I am the fake name Savant. Okay. Originally, it was the master of the fake names. We already have a master in there, a snack master. So sure. we have to change a little bit, though. But that is the the fifth of my titles. Okay, okay. But here's here's a couple of my snacks. First is playing off the – that's a whole lot of nuts. We have peanuts, but we have them at the front of the restaurant, and they're served in little flattened squirrel dishes. Oh, okay, okay. I like that. So because, with the hand with the handprint in the back of the squirrel. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice. Much like in the film where uh, Steve Odekirk is shielded by a squirrel, it's like a like a quasi like bulletproof vest. Yeah. Like a, so that's that's one thing. Another idea I had, like I already mentioned, was the uh, kung pao beef, mm-hmm. and then third would be tongue. Ooh, what from what animal? Whatever animal you'd like. 
whatever fell off the back of the truck that morning essentially. in these restaurant. Okay. Essentially, whatever they couldn't fit in the hot dogs. That's <laughs> essentially what we have. Have you ever had like beef tongue? I know some places serve that. Have you ever had beef tongue? No. Neither no, but it's a, it's a real item though, so I yeah. feel confident saying it. That's a good one. No, that's actually a really good one. I've never had tongue, and it fits perfectly. It'd be you know tonguey. I'm sure it tastes tonguey. <laughs> if you want, we can draw a face on the tongue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. No, I like that. I like that. Yeah, whatever animal we can get our hands on and cut a tongue out and cook it up. Sure, right on. I want to point out for the cinematics snack mm-hmm. that we went from like having like real snacks for every item. To just slowly transform into like, let's just how crazy we can get each one of these items. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, there's some real ones in there, like our Kung Pao beef. <laughs> but I like how it went from like a thing you eat during the movie to like, it's a fake restaurant as of now. I love that- the restaurant. The restaurant's <laughs> great. We're going to be billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> After we embezzle all the money from uh, Mark Cuban? Yes. <laughs> Love the restaurant. Can't wait. Can't wait till everybody gets to come try that caviar fountain out. (laughs) (laughs) The caviar glory hole. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. (laughs) Alrighty, Rob. So how are we going to end this episode? I was thinking about this, and I think that, of course, it's got to be in reverse, but I absolutely (laughs) love, um, in the final fight scene of this movie... uh, Because every time Betty fights Master Payne, Betty, Mike Piazza, whatever he needs to be called... Every time he fights, he plays, um, like, he has, his, he has a crony with a boombox. And at the start of the last fight, they're about, Steve Odekirk and, and, and Betty are about to throw down. And the guy turns on the boombox, and it's, there's got to be a morning after. But then Steve Odekirk throws his, like, ninja star, and it changes the song. And it's a really, really good remix of Black Betty. Whoa, Black Betty, bam, ram, whoa, Black Betty. Like, it's a really techno remix of it. And I like it a lot, and we should do that in reverse. What do you think? Oh, should we announce what we're doing next week? Or do we not know still? I don't know. That's a good question. Do we have any idea what's happening with our lives? (laughs) Maybe R. Kelly Lifetime movies? Yeah, we have to watch that and see how much hate we're going to get if we talk about it. (laughs) Rob records the episode and gets posted the very next day. Zach, I was laid off from my job. They heard it. Yeah. (laughs) Alrighty, folks. See you next week. Bye. Come on, he got you.